This is Loose Leaf, a multi-author podcast journal where we talk about goals, the ups and downs of writing, and where we try to warn you off of our greatest pitfalls. Since I am so bad at doing this at the end of the podcast, I'd like to start out with announcements and reminders. Remember, for the month of February 2021, we have a giveaway going where if you visit us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash loose leaf podcast, if you like the page and make a comment on the post that is pinned at the top, you can be entered to win one of two print copies of Hooked by Les Edgerton. This is a great resource that can help you polish those first chapters, those first sentences, and also deepen your character development. Make sure you check the show notes for links to all the websites that we talk about during the podcast. Well, ladies, we're so glad you're with us. I I guess we'll just jump in. I thought maybe the three of us could introduce ourselves real quick, and then we'll let you introduce yourself. Um, So we'll just jump in. I'm Charity Bradford. I write science fiction, uh, science fiction, fantasy mix, and romance. I'm Hilary Sperry. I write contemporary romance and cozy mysteries. I'm Caleb Von Boats. I really have yet to write anything, but (laughs) not true. I'm... That's I'm trying true. to write a uh, fantasy right now, so. He's our inspirational but, author. Uh, aspirational. Yes, but he writes <laughs> songs. He writes uh, the copy for a game he's putting together. He writes a lot of stuff, just it hasn't officially made a book yet. I write copy for classical music radio right now. That's my that's my main output, so. <laughs> that sounds very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Christina, so today we have Christina Adams and Ellie Betts with us, and they have a podcast called The Writer's Cookbook. It's fairly new, just started in January. And it's a great podcast. I really like you guys' intro music. And oh, you guys- thank you so thank much. You. Honestly, it took us so long to find that music. I was it so did. stressed I think- trying to find it. Yeah, that was the hardest part of the podcast so far, is finding the right intro music. And then we were, we found that one. It was like, oh, it's got an intro and an outro. That's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I was looking in a completely different direction. And then you suggested a certain different genre, I think, Ellie. And that kind of led us down the right path. Because I was looking for like some sort of slow guitar music that kind of worked with our talking speed as well. And then you went, no, no, we need something more jazzy, something more funky. I'm like, you're a genius. <laughs> But it was so stressful. Christina is the only person in the world that thinks I'm a genius. So hey, hey take it and run. That is that's not true. Our entire circle thinks she is awesome. a genius because she's like the common sense one of the group. <laughs> We're all like off flying away with all our crazy ideas. And Ellie's like, so how can we actually do this? <laughs> We're like, oh we need those people. They're so important. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Well, Christina, why don't you introduce yourself and Ellie? Like, I found lots of information about Christina, but Ellie, you're a little harder to uh, learn things about. (laughs) So I'm looking forward to getting to know both of you better. Okay, so I am an author, poet, and blogger. I've published 12 books so far. Um, At the moment, women's fiction, romance, and nonfiction for writers. But this year, I'm segueing into fantasy as well. And I also freelance as a content marketer. Awesome. And teach writing. I do courses as well. Sweet. Oh, I can't follow that. I should have gone first. Uh, (laughs) I am a creative writing MA student at the moment. Um, I don't have anything published book-wise, but I've published various uh, blogs on the Writer's Cookbook. They've done very Um, well. They're some of our most popular. (laughs) Um, And taught a couple of bits and pieces as part of that as well. And I like to write fantasy at the moment. I'm working on an urban fantasy novel. And uh, yeah, just bits and pieces here and there. I'm very well known for torturing and killing my characters. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. I just, I I love on my screen, I have Kale and Ellie are on the same level there. So I'm like, you guys are our beginners. You're our inspiration. You're our target audience, really, of of who. (laughs) Yes! Oh my goodness! (laughs) I, and our and our fans. I only wear people. them to make me. <laughs> you mean it's not the fact you can't see like this far if you're not? No, I can't see anything. I can't even see the screen without them. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness! I'm just so excited to have you guys here. Thank you. Very excited, excited to, be to be here. 
Well, to kind of let our listeners know, when I found your podcast, what I really liked about it is how organized you are, because I love ours. We, we have two very different styles, and I like that. So I kind of think this is going to be really fun today, <laughs> getting to, to visit with you guys, because we're always unscripted. We're like, oh, this is what's on my mind today, and uh, you guys are a little more organized. So I think I think we both have something to offer Oh, we've gone a little bit back and forth. Charity loves the organizational part of it. And I'm like, why? Why? I'm just going to talk. Let's just hang out. That's fine. I do like the hanging out vibe on your podcast, actually. I find it really nice and easy to listen to. Oh, um, but you. also, I am a big organizer and uh, <laughs> can't help yeah. myself. Yeah, I think for me, I like to, because what we do is we don't script it aside from the introduction, but we have bullet points that we want to discuss. And because Ellie and I can be quite forgetful, it's really important to us to have those bullet points because we will forget something really good if we don't write it down. So it's kind of making sure we cram as much value in as possible. And the key to that for us is to make sure we have those bullet points, but we don't want to script it verbatim because then it will make it sound way too formal. Yes. Actually, uh, to begin with, I was scripting my bits pretty much verbatim because it's not something I've really done before. Um, but Christina is helping me get out of that habit. And I think it does flow a lot better actually when it's not hundred percent scripted. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's just a practicing and finding what you're comfortable with. I think, cause it took me years to get comfortable, not scripting things because when I was really young, the first time I did public speaking unscripted, I stuttered so badly oh. and I was mortified and it put me off for a long time, even though I adore public speaking. So I got back, when did I get back in? Oh, I got back into it at uni actually, because I've done the same MA that Ellie is doing now. And I wanted to compare the event and my lecturer was like, no, you need to read your poem as well. I'm like, go away. And we've had this argument (laughs) for ages. Genuinely, I was arguing with my tutor. I'm like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. And he was like, no, no, read it. And all my friends in the MA were like, read it. It's a good poem. Read it. It's a good poem. And I ended up reading the poem and I felt a lot better for doing that. And it gave me a real confidence boost. And then I did like four or five events in a year because I became a bit addicted. That's awesome. <laughs> That's wonderful. I was trying to figure out kind of the best way to approach this because I kind of wanted to just hang out, but I also wanted to, <laughs> to touch on... Um, On this thing, we talk about author imposter syndrome a lot on our podcast. (laughs) And I thought that's a big topic. (laughs) Yes, it is. And and it really fit in with your overthinking reason for for why we don't finish writing our projects. And so I kind of wanted to talk about that a little bit and then give you the chance to talk about some of these other things. And I know Hillary's got a couple that she wanted to add to that list of nine surprising reasons why you might not be able to finish finish your um, manuscript. And so do you wanna just jump into that or do you guys wanna share it? Like I know Christina, when I was reading your actual website about how you got into writing finally, I really connected with your story. And I didn't wanna put you on the spot and say, do you wanna share your story about your Nan? Because <laughs> how you finally jumped in to take that leap and, and do what you'd always dreamed about before we even get to the, yeah, we don't yeah, get to I the nuts and bolts, we don't get there, but <laughs> I want people to get to know yeah. you guys. Okay, I can't remember the exact years, so <laughs> just bear with me on that. Um, but a few years ago, my Nan got really poorly and she actually had a stroke and I was raised by my Nan and my mom, so, you know, she obviously meant a lot to me. And I just thought, you know, I've got this book idea. I really love it. People who've read earlier versions of it love it and keep asking me why I haven't published it. And I don't want to lose my nan and then have never published anything. I want her to have the opportunity to read it. And she did. I published my first book in 2016. And I she lived with my mum. And I wanted to, I was going to give them both a copy, like like one copy between them. And she no, I want my own. I want my own dedication. And I'm going to pay you full price, not family discount. And she was adamant. She was like hellbent. Like she's, I'd hasten to say she's a stereotypical grandmother, but she was very kind of, she was a little bit, wasn't she, Ellie? She kind of very forthcoming, very blunt, didn't really show emotion unless cake was involved. <laughs> that, that's not she was diabetic oh, well. my own most heart. people can relate to that yeah. <laughs> yeah and you know I published I think four or five books before she passed away a couple of years ago 
And I know she was really proud of that and it meant a lot to her. And I did dedicate the last book in my first series, What Happens In series to her as well. And that last book in the series um, was very cathartic for me because I was writing it not long after she passed away. So I channeled a lot of my grief into that because I was like, well, I can either collapse and fall apart because I've lost this woman who was so important to me or I can channel that energy into doing something productive. And I ended up publishing five books in 12 months after she passed away to, to channel while working full time and dealing with chronic health issues. I was like, no, I'm not going to waste this opportunity. I'm not going to waste my life. I'm going to do this. And I did. And yeah, okay, my chronic health issues got a little bit worse for a while, but now I'm doing really well in terms of managing it. You know, a year ago I was almost bed bound and now I can go and take the dog for a walk and whatever. So, yeah. Excellent. Little oh. powerhouse, that's what I call her. <laughs> well, how, how about you, Ellie? What led you to writing and starting this journey? Um, I actually still have the very first story that I wrote which I wrote when I was seven and it uh, we, we got given this assignment to write like a page or something this was like eight pages long and I was just writing it through break time I remember sitting there and everyone's like what's wrong with her um but it's a, about a, a balloon person who I helps rescue some children from the king or something and I just loved it and I still have it and it's like in a little plastic um, envelope thing uh don't get me wrong it's not a good story but for a seven-year-old I was quite impressed yes eight, and eight eight way better amazing. than mine <laughs> my, my story was not that in-depth when I was seven mine was literally my friend stole my china teacup I'm like why am I obsessed with a china teacup I didn't drink tea <laughs> Oh, I wrote, I mean, I wrote on and off since then. I wrote a lot in my teenage years, poetry, and, um, well, I was working on a series, which I also unearthed the other day when me and Christina were on the video call, and it's it's cringy. Um, but I just loved it, and I loved writing, and I it's like an escape, and I felt like I was achieving something. And I think I drifted away from it for a long time, to be honest. Um, bef and then up until a couple, three years ago, when I met Christina and a few other local writing people, and just sort of rediscovered how happy it made me, I guess, as cheesy as that sounds, um, and just carried on writing bits and bobs and then decided to do the creative writing masters, which has taught me a lot and um, not always perfect. I don't think I would recommend academia for everybody, but it certainly works for me and it's pushed me back onto the right track. And now I feel like I can see my future in writing and all these books I want to publish and I just love it I get so much out of it that's really interesting that sounds very similar to the way I kind of discovered writing and I I don't have my first story but it sounds like we could have you know been writing buddies at the time we could. mine was a little construction paper book that had oh. something about a princess and a Dracula and something I don't remember but that's it's, they were they were special stories you know and you you find these things that kind of propel you along and then I, same thing where I sort of walked away from it for a while and then found the people who led me back mm. you know it's, those writing groups are so important the people yeah. who support and kind of help you find your your path so very cool <laughs> okay well let's jump in real quick and and see if we can hit just a couple of these. I don't want Christina and Ellie to have to rehash a podcast that they have already posted. I want you guys to go, all of you listeners to go find their podcast, The Writer's Cookbook, and listen to it for yourself because it's awesome. But I did want to just kind of talk about some of these because I think it's important for us to realize there could be reasons we're not recognizing that are holding us back from doing what we dream. Yep. So do you guys want to kind of just touch on a subject or would you like me to, to tell you what I highlighted? I printed it off. <laughs> I think, oh, wow. No, you, you pick, pick what you want. Pick what you want. Yeah, we'll you be led by you. Yeah, you know what's going to benefit your listeners the most. So that's kind of what we want to focus on rather than what we think is interesting. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, great. Well, what I did um, on your website, so everybody, they do have a website where you can go and see their transcripts if you would rather read than listen, although listening is so much easier. Um, yeah, so that's I what agree. I did. <laughs> I printed off this one and I highlighted what really stuck out to me, things that we've kind of talked about on our podcast, things that I feel like we should talk about a little bit more. So your first 
reason for why you can't finish your work in progress is research. And what struck out to me is you said, it's not always about researching your specific topic, but also researching around it. And I think that is so important. That's something that we don't think about. We think, okay, I'm talking about this doctor. So I've got to research everything about this doctor, but maybe you need to research about the whole environment, the paramedics, the nurses, the everything that comes with being a doctor. Maybe it's beyond that. Maybe it's what's the town like, you know, I, I don't know, but that's where my mind went. Is that kind of what you guys were meaning when you said that? Yeah, exactly. And I have a lot of people who are like, oh, I'm writing fi fiction. I don't need to research. I'm like, of course. Yeah. <laughs> like if you're getting stuck quite often, it's either fear or you don't know enough. And in my last book, Hollywood Drama, I wrote about my main character doing an Ibiza residency because he's a DJ. And I'd, I visited Ibiza. We went on holiday there a couple of years ago because it's only like two hour flight from here. And even though my boyfriend and I are two of the most unsociable people you can meet, we were right in the heart of the clubbing district, which I didn't realize until after I'd booked it. But <laughs> even though I'd been there and sort of unintentionally experienced it, I still didn't really know what it was like to be caught up in that clubbing thing because I refused to pay a hundred quid just to get on a boat for a gig. I'm like, I don't know. I'm a cheapskate and unsociable. I don't know if I mentioned that. But it's also like understanding those really small things. Like, for example, my character is also an alcoholic. So what does he experience there? What does that feel like? It's not just like what it looks like to the outside world. What's it like in here for him? And I remember in one of my other books, one of my beta readers messaged me. She was like, how have you never been drunk? This is really accurate. <laughs> Good job. And I was like, I just read stuff on the internet. That's all it is a lot of the time. Yeah. And when yeah. I was stuck on my current book for thinking of stupid things to happen in Ibiza, I came across a really good article of um, musicians talking about things that had gone wrong at gigs. It was a goldmine. It was an absolute, not only was it hilarious, but it was a goldmine. Like in my book, I ended up having someone peeing on the stage at the, at the start of his very first set. Because at the end of the day, these people are drunk, they're high, they're there to have fun. And it is a little bit of a cliche, I apologize, of the British people going and just getting smashed, making idiots of themselves. Oh, it's so embarrassing. It's embarrassing, but it's a cliche so and it, it's also kind of true. It's not totally British. That's how cliches become cliches. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it was just such a gold mine. And if I hadn't gone, okay, I'm not sure where to go with this in just like taking the time to do that research, it would have taken me a lot longer to finish that book. Yeah. Kale, were you raising your hand a minute ago? <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> Kale, I like that approach. <laughs> Kale is our quiet one. Sometimes we gotta go, just jump in there because <laughs> he's so polite. We're like, it's just okay. Jump in. <laughs> just jump in. Oh. No, I was going to say, I agree with the, the, the little character decisions that you make. So a coal miner, essentially. Yeah, been there. Literally, I have a story that involves coal mining as well. And I've been messaging Ellie because she has a history degree. Nice. I'm like, can I do this? Can I do this? What's the timeline for that? So she's just been nice. in the middle of the working day getting stupid questions about Victorian time. <laughs> okay, it's okay. I finally feel like the history degree is yes. useful. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yes. So what we need I'm to do now is get time. you writing historical fantasy. <laughs> do you know what? Maybe. Maybe that's what I need. Mm -hmm. <laughs> But that would rely on the history degree actually. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know if I can pull that up. Well, for now, we'll help with my ghost story. That's what counts. <laughs> and my granddad was a minor as well, don't forget. So I get to, they're like, oh, well, this happened. And he told me about this. And, you know, I think those sort of personal accounts of things tend to divulge a lot more about the actual experience than just reading things See, in mind. Yeah, they? that's true. Uh, I absolutely agree. Um, I, I had a paper to write in college um, 
it was for a music world music class and I already loved this music, but <laughs> that was incredible. The personal stories, so awesome. So, so you, you need to get a wide variety of friends and then just make sure you keep the ones that know something interesting and uh, <laughs> bribe them to tell you, you all about them out it regularly. <laughs> yeah. Just like pick, look at a friend and go, you have nothing interesting to say. You're out. No, that's it. <laughs> Are you. But, uh, are you all familiar with Jodie Pico? Yes. She wrote My Sister's Keepers, The Storyteller, a gazillion other books. She actually does a lot of research before she writes a single word. She interviews people because she often tells two different sides of a story. And she interviews people from both sides. Like she's got one book called Small Great Things. And she interviewed a lot of reformed white supremacists to write about that. And she also spoke to a lot of black people about their experiences of racism so that she felt she could really truly embody it rather than making assumptions. She had these real life stories and experiences. And I think that's a it's a time consuming way to do it, but it makes the writing very powerful. That is awesome. That's one of the hardest things about research. And um, I kind of, I made notes on some of the, the topics in your nine things that really hit me. And I actually kind of just, I didn't actually put research down even as one of them. I'm like, this is like the, the big obvious one to me. <laughs> this one, <laughs> research is hard. Yeah. It's, it, I mean, if you really want to do justice to the, to the subject, you have to get in there and do it. Um, but it is quite obviously one of the big reasons I think that we don't finish our, our novels. And I think it's one that people are less aware of, like I said, because they're like, oh, I'm writing fiction. I don't need to research it. I can make it up as I go along. But I was talking to Ellie last night about my current work in progress. And I said, I set a lot of it in the real world. So even though I'm writing about celebrities in my current series and my next series is a ghost series, I want it to feel like this could genuinely happen and setting it in real places that I've been to or that I can talk to other people about really brings it to life. But I need to do the research to turn those settings essentially into characters. Absolutely. Hey, Hillary, tell them one of your additions, yeah. one of your additional oh. reasons why you can't finish your work in progress. <laughs> Yeah. So when before I listened to your podcast, Charity was telling me about it and she was like, So it's about nine surprising reasons that you don't finish your work in progress. And I started writing things down like my number one is you don't have enough chocolate. That's my first <laughs> reason why you yeah, that, that is vital. That is yeah. vital. That is vital. I mean, I've just finished drinking the hot like, chocolate. I can't write anymore. I gotta go do something else. <laughs> yeah. But that was my number one. Uh, my next one was you're too busy binging Bridgerton or something along those lines. So Yes. I just, um, I don't know. I, that fell into one of yours where you were, uh, I think, which one was it? Um, I would say it falls under number eight, which is not making time feel writing. There you go. That was what it was. And um, I think that's really easy for us to do. It's really easy for me to do. I get caught up. I, I call it research sometimes and we'll just sit and watch my watch shows that are in my genre or something. <laughs> and, it, and it does help because I can, uh, I can, I can watch plot lines happen and I can watch things and challenges and stuff that come up and that's, it's good. I mean, I, I can justifiably call it research, but at some point it becomes a little bit different. Yeah, <laughs> I, true. I fell down a rabbit hole of watching ghost hunting videos on YouTube for a while. So I much for a <laughs> rabbit hole, I got Ellie into, into them. Yeah. yeah. And um, now I've watched all of the ones from this particular YouTuber as well, so. Uh, yeah, I tend to go to my Hallmark cozy mysteries. <laughs> I pretty much will just search mystery in the Hallmark, you know, search bar thing and anything that pops up, I'm like, oh, I'll try that one. <laughs> Which is good. And I do think it can add value to your story and sort of help you to deepen the information there and the knowledge there. Sure. But um, I am terrible for doing this and not actually doing any writing, which is why right. I think uh, number seven comes in there because it is very much, and I think we specified this in, in that particular episode, it's about making time for writing. Yeah. Like anyone um, can say I'm too busy or I've got different things to do or I just need one more episode. Uh, no offense, cause I do it too. Uh, <laughs> but, but you can, if you really want to write and you should because the world deserves to hear your stories, you need to make time for writing. Even if that's just five or 10 minutes a day to start with, 
you've got to build that habit and you'd be surprised how much you can do with just 10 minutes a day. That used to be my tagline when I first started writing seriously back in 2008, every social media mine was something along the lines of as a mother, you have to make the time because no one else is going to give it to you. And Absolutely. that's what I did. I had notebooks in the, in the car. And when I sat in the carpool lines or at the doctor's office, I was scribbling something. That's fantastic. Yeah. I think those cues are so good. What struck me while I was listening to this um, was what you guys said about book absolutely and most people can type that fast yeah it's about having that time to write and nothing else and that's where people struggle it's like oh no i've got to go and research this in the middle of the writing session oh no the dog wants yeah. to walk and blah 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 it's like those things can wait for 10 minutes because you'll be much more productive if you concentrate that time on one particular task you will grow at that skill faster and also you will get much more done and you will also make fewer mistakes because multitasking fries your brain basically and means you don't grow as fast, you don't do things to as high of a quality. And then you it can also damage your confidence, particularly if you edit as you write. That was one of my favorite things that you talked about. It's my pet I thing. actually wrote in big letters, love section. <laughs> don't let me talk about it because we'll go over the eight minutes we have left. Oh my goodness. I have. I have a blog post I wrote on it because it, I hate it so much. And I don't think people realize how detrimental to their confidence it really is because writing and, and first drafts is all about just getting the idea onto the page. I don't even name half my characters sometimes in the first draft because I'm like, those names do not matter if I cannot finish this draft. I had an entire well, I love family. That you talked about really... You, re- you talked about really separating those times where you yeah. will just write for months at a time and yeah. then... You then you only after you've gotten that done will you go back and start editing for a, a separate section of time. I don't know yeah. if you do it for months on end as well, but yeah. um, I yeah, really like that. I think November to about mid January, just writing, and now I'm in the editing phase because I've got like three or four books drafted, so I want to kind of awesome. get rid of them, shall we say? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. Powerhouse, I'm telling you. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit more about this confidence because it's actually my favorite section too. Like I said, it, it really relates to that author imposter syndrome that we talk about. And I mean, I've been writing for over 10 years. I've got, I think, 15 titles out in two different genres. So I should be like, yeah, I'm a writer. I'm an author. Go, go, go. But I still fall into the same trap. And in the beginning, I found a quote by Marianne Williamson that I want to share. And I kind of have to remind myself of it every couple of years. But um, this is from A Return to Love, Reflections on the Principles of A Course in Miracles. So this is quite old. Uh, But she says, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. And then she just goes on to talk about how sharing our light gives other people permission to share their light. And I just, I love that. Beautiful. That's wonderful. You know, it goes with that fear. It goes with our confidence that sometimes we don't recognize what we're actually afraid of. Yeah. And I think it's also, we don't recognize what we're capable of. And then these two things really fight against us because we can be afraid of the very thing we want the most because it's still unknown and we're worried it won't live up to our expectations. But also then that starts to hold us back. And eventually it becomes to this point where we're just not writing at all because we're so afraid of the very thing we want the most. One of the things that um, the confidence one reminded me of is, well, in my list of things, surprising reasons, one of them was lack of support. And I think that's something that I have put as an excuse sometimes, but right next to that, I put lack of confidence. Because if we really have the confidence in what we're doing and if we believe in what we're doing and know that this is something that we 
want to achieve and can achieve, then the support side caters away. I think it's for me, it can be used as a crutch really easy, easily. So I'm like, yeah. oh, well, I need to go take care of them. Or there's, uh, he doesn't, you know, if it's a spouse or if it's a family or whatever, then um, it's just really easy to, to say, oh, they're, they're more important. Yeah. But I think also, if you believe, that yeah yeah sometimes you have friends or family members or partners who are well-meaning but then say oh maybe you shouldn't take that risk maybe this isn't the right time maybe you should be doing xyz instead and to go against those people that you love and say actually no I'm gonna do it anyway it takes a lot of gumption and a lot of people are afraid that if they go against that person they love they're gonna lose that person they love and that's why I, I know I'm really lucky my boyfriend and I are both very ambitious we both work quite hard and he knows that I might ignore what he says, but that doesn't mean I don't love him or I don't respect him. It's just that we have very different ways of doing things. You know, he, he's a software developer. I'm an author. They're very, very different mindsets, very different businesses, you know? Yeah, that's been a hurdle. Yeah, hurdle I've got another people. quote, actually, that ties in nicely with yours, Charity. We'd love to hear it. It's from Chris Fox's Lifelong Writing Habit. I don't know if anyone else has read it. Ellie and I read it as like a uh, part of our writing group and it just really struck a chord with me. And the quote is this, your mind lacks the power to differentiate between what you think of as real and what is actually real. So if you think you are a best-selling author, you will attract things, not necessarily attract, you will find and notice things that will help you achieve that goal you'll start seeing things that back up that opinion because if you're telling your brain that's true it'll see things and go oh yeah that's that's why that's true and I, I do that so that that must be true and it backs itself up yeah and it is really hard to train your brain to do that because that's one of the trainings that I do for my chronic pain is I have to tell myself I don't feel pain or that xyz isn't a trigger and it is hard to tell yourself that when you've been in that habit of a negative mindset, focusing on how much you suck and how bad you are at writing or how much physical or emotional pain you are in, but it is possible. And this is why I run the writer's cookbook is to prove to people you can do whatever you want. I was bed bound and I still managed to publish everything I did. What I do isn't impossible. It's just that I'm slightly stubborn and refuse to let these little things stop me. It's a family trait. I can't help it. So KL, did you get a chance to, to look at, or, or I think you did say you listened to the podcast. Is there anything you want to bring up and talk about? It is whenever I listen to like inspirational writing podcasts and material, I'm always like, oh yeah, I do that. <laughs> <laughs> For real. <laughs> several points I'm like oh that's so me yeah you need to hear it from someone external sometimes is that reminder I think like even if you know you do it having it pointed out to you I think can sometimes propel you to actually change those negative habits or at least start to go no I shouldn't be doing this and slowly pull yourself it was the same with the Chris Fox book the um, daily writing habits one um because yes all the stuff in there I've probably thought before and I've probably heard before but having it on paper and from that voice of authority who is external like you say you sit there and go yeah I, I need to sort myself out why am I not doing this <laughs> I can do better I know I can do better and then you sort of uh, get get on with it I think at least I did when I read the book I think it clarifies those too um just yeah as you're trying to figure out what's going on and doing things we we have all sorts of self-doubt and then to have somebody say it out loud, you're like, oh, that's all of those random thoughts I've been having all came together right there. And now I can fix it. You know, you can't fix yeah, it. I, you don't I know what it is. I was listening to, I can't remember the name of the podcast now, but it was an episode about procrastination. And I listened to it and I was like, that's me. I, I've been procrastinating this whole time. And there's a definition for what I've been doing to myself. <laughs> and so being able to see that and recognize it helps me to work around it if you see what I mean and not be such a procrastinator <laughs> but that's how I got through uh, the first few years of school so that's how we do procrastinating or by trying to stop yourself <laughs> procrastinating it's only recently I decided to try and stop myself <laughs> you just saw it in <laughs> well 
I did have one other one that I wanted to pull out and uh, it was under your topic, uh, number three, tension. And the reason I did is because it made me think of Hillary and something we just talked about a week or so or however long ago. <laughs> so you were talking about, you know, in increasing the stakes is important for any genre that you write in. And Hillary was talking about how she just likes her characters to be happy and everything to be going well. <laughs> I know. It's terrible. I realized that was one of my problems recently. I'm like, this is why my books aren't aren't completing themselves as easily because I'm not giving them good enough stakes. It's like, logically, I knew that had to happen. I've gone to classes about it. I know that this is important, but it's like, as I was would try and put my characters through their story, it's like, I don't want to kill off their family. She doesn't want, want to, to put her mom into like a burning building. <laughs> I don't. I tell you what, I was really, really bad for that. I would, because I used to write like almost to escape, I would always focus on trying to make things as happy and shiny and whatever as possible for my character. It doesn't work well. And before, it, and someone read an earlier version of what happened in New York and said to me, you need to be meaner to your characters. And it's the best piece of writing advice I've ever been given. And I may have taken it a little bit too. Her literally. reputation for torturing characters precedes her. <laughs> Just wait, just wait. The next two series I have planned takes my level of torturing characters like to a oh, thousand gosh. compared to my current stuff. True. Well, we were talking about my uh, novel idea the other day, Christina and I, and I was like, and then I'm going to do this. And then she's going to like accidentally channel the spirit of her dead granddad. And she thinks she's lying about it. And she thinks she's just winding her up and it's going to be so good. <laughs> she was like, wow, that's <laughs> evil. <laughs> I was like, I know, I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah, I I was plotting, because I plot quite far ahead. I've got the first four books of my ghost story planned. And I was planning how, like, they take down the big bad. And I told a couple of people, and they were like, that's evil. That's brilliant. <laughs> and they were so... It, it's quite grotesque. I don't mind sharing it, but it's quite grotesque. So it depends on what people's levels are for gore. I think we've got all um, a whole range so <laughs> well okay so this will be like book four so by the time it actually comes out most people will probably have forgotten I've said it but one of my characters the big bad is a necromancer and he is dying slowly and so he's basically been stealing people's souls to and he tricks another necromancer into helping him and basic and one of the other side characters is a mummy who wants to be look like a human again not four thousand years old so obviously his skin's really gross and they go to an alchemist and the alchemist once they've taken down the bad necromancer basically swaps the bad necromancer's skin with the mummy so the mummy can live and then the necromancer is in this curse so he gets internal life but he's basically in a coma for until someone wakes him up oh my goodness which could oh be goodness. never I love it that's my level of evil at this point <laughs> I love it I love too that you say you plot so far out that's that's wonderful and obviously that works for you and I did like um in your podcast you said you know no matter what level of plotting you do when you like if you started a road trip, you at least know where you're going to get to, even if you don't yeah. know what you're going to see between. And I loved that you left that open-ended because plotting is so subjective to each individual of, of how much. Yeah, it's a scale and people see yeah. it as too black and white and it really irritates me because it's like, no, some ideas you need to plot meticulously because you're going to shoot yourself in the foot and you're going to spend a decade editing it because there are so many plot holes. But some things don't need as much plotting and you can kind of go with the flow a lot more, particularly if it's standalone, I think. If it's a series and a quite complicated one, like my fantasy series, it really helps to do things in advance because not only can you foreshadow it, but you know what you're working towards. So you're less likely to get stuck or dig yourself into a hole. And also you can work through those plot holes first because I had quite a few in Ghost Call, which is the first book in the series. And it really helped me to work through those before I started writing because then I could write it relatively quickly and I planned my next Hollywood gossip book quite in depth and I wrote a first draft of that in about a week wow that's so amazing. it makes a massive difference I think thank you 
does. And on a smaller scale as well, for someone like me, who is much more towards the end of just starting out, obviously Christina has a lot more experience, with the story that I'm working on, I actually ended up writing the last scene. Because I had it in my head and I thought, you know what, I just need to get it out. I need to get it on the page. But having that end point, even though I have no idea, well, I have a rough idea of what they're going to see in between, knowing that end point on just that smaller scale helped massively in terms of getting the rest going. And I'm still not finished, obviously, but um, <laughs> it helps you to see where you're going, which is the literal interpretation, I guess. But I definitely recommend You can then, like, work out the stakes. You can work out the stakes more easily then, I think, as well, because you know what you're working towards. You can know if you need to go like that or if it's much more subtle. Kind of what we've been talking about. It's over there. Um, it's like when you're watching a movie and you're like, uh, there's a second movie. <laughs> like, <laughs> I know, I know this. This hero is not gonna die here. But as the writer, dude, what can we do? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people get bogged down in what happens sometimes. But it's like in romance or mystery. You know, the couple are gonna get together. You know, they're gonna solve whatever the mystery is. But it's not necessarily about that. It's about how they get to that point. Yeah. And I find plotting really helps with that because um, there's a bit of a notorious story around the writer's cookbook now with my NaNoWriMo story. Uh, I don't know. Did I mention it in that episode? I can't remember. I think you've mentioned it in a different Yeah, yeah I haven't um, heard it. I, I wanted to do NaNoWriMo and I decided to work on a romance crime novel and I thought I'd plotted it. It was the first time I'd ever plotted something. This was in 2016, 17. And I got to my plot on Halloween and I realized that I didn't really have a plot. I'd written what <laughs> happened, but very, very vaguely. So my climax was Poppy finds out who the murderer is. I didn't know who the murderer was. <laughs> <laughs> so I was desperately trying to do NaNoWriMo just to kind of prove that I could do it. And I ended up changing the murderer three times and getting in such a flap. I did, I did hit the 50K, but I got in such a flap that I almost quit writing fiction altogether because I couldn't, I hated the process so, so much. And I resented writing at that point. And I took a break to focus on my content marketing and copywriting because I hated it so much. And if I hadn't taken that break, I probably would have stopped altogether. It's funny because that was making me think I am currently planning a trip. I do not know if it will happen, but uh, I have this idea for a romance and I was like, I need to go to Oregon because I've never been to Oregon and I wanna set it there in Oregon. So that's the research part. But I have, what I'm doing is I've got a map and I'm trying to figure out where do I wanna go and how far is it from here to there? So in the end, I'm gonna have this plan of, of at least the direction that I do this road trip. I'm not gonna plan everything in between. I'm gonna to get to a place and then explore, but that's kind of what you're talking about. That's kind of a middle level of at least knowing those big points that are going to move your story forward and having an idea of, of what you need in order to reach that end. So, yeah. And I think a lot of people like, I don't plot. And then you ask them what they've got planned for their story and they can recite it mentally. So if you know it in your head, why aren't you writing it down? Because if you write it down, then you free your brain up to think yes. of other things. So then you've got much more, space in your head and if you have like a bad memory or you've just got a lot going on it it frees up so much mentally to write down as much as possible yeah i've been known to write story ideas so i i work i work in construction and i've been known to write ideas on building materials and take a picture that. with my phone and Are be like, all right, I've got it. <laughs> all right. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty much out. So that's, that's my husband. <laughs> He's like, are we ready? Yeah, Hi, Hillary's husband. Well, we love you, Hillary. And have, we hope you have a good day. <laughs> uh, and, and ladies, it was so nice to meet you. I really, really enjoyed it. One of the things I didn't get to say um, was one of my, one of my other favorite things <laughs> about your, your uh, podcast was 
I love your cake analogies. And I love that every time you're like, oh, it's the cake analogy, but it's a different one every time. <laughs> it was just <laughs> They will continue. They will. It used to be me that came up with them, but now they're all Ellie. <laughs> Ellie is the one with the metaphors and the comedy. I love them. They were well. fantastic. I love right. to bake. So yeah, more cheesy yeah, keep, keep making, ah, keep writing, keep cake analogying. I'll, I'll keep listening. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. We will. We'll we see will. you, Hillary. Bye, guys. Take care. Bye, Bye Hillary. <laughs> We'll, we'll, we'll just all drop off one at a time here. Fine, <laughs> thank you for inviting us. Uh, thank you guys for taking time to talk with us. And I've never done anything like this before. So yeah, I look forward to hearing more of your um, episodes. So. I have almost 600 followers on Twitter, just saying. So, <laughs> Dude, yes. <laughs> I can pretend. I can uh, pretend. Well, that's one of those things. That, like, the whole author and yes. like, it's a small podcast, but you know what? It doesn't matter because we're having fun. It helps us. Like, if you need to drop out, Kale, no worries. Have fun with with Rowan. Hello. <laughs> All right. But you know, if nothing else, it's keeping okay. us in the <laughs> habit of writing. Hi guys. Because we usually set our goals. We say, "Here's our goal," and then we report. And you know, Kale a couple of weeks ago said. I have to write something because I don't want to come on the podcast and say I didn't write anything. And yeah, that that's I think the accountability goes a long way. Um, we've been doing not quite a daily writing group, but we do it most days, don't we, Ellie? And that really helps. Just have like a half an hour or so of just like focus session. So not researching, not looking at notifications, not doing anything. We just, we sit there on camera with mics muted and we just write for 30 minutes. And then at least if it's rubbish words, it's still rubbish, exactly. it's still words on the page. It's still progress. Exactly. And that's what yeah. really matters, I think, because you can really sometimes overthink it. And if you don't have that set time of day to write, it's really easy to go, oh, I'll do it later. I'll do it later. And then it's the end of the day and you've got to go to bed and you've run out of time and you haven't been able to do what you wanted to but if you've got the accountability of other people yes. it goes a long way it does and I love your set your time because I know I mean the whole history of me writing it's always been having to have that set time and you know over November and December my writing really slows down actually because it's family time um, my kids come home from college you know it's 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 kind of our time but in January it's sitting down at a certain time and I can look back because I I write down in my calendar my word count for the day and then the first week of January sometimes it was like 200 words it was like pathetic but I'm like hey but I wrote 200 words today so I did something and then I can just see how as I do it consistently that number grows and grows and grows until you know because until I'm getting like a thousand words an hour finally and that's back up to where I should be but yeah that you know you have to be happy with where you start and then just be consistent yeah, that, that's why I separate writing and editing so much. Like when I started writing again after a long period of doing editing and kind of I was doing one book at a time and that didn't really work for me. It kind of wasn't my thing. And when I sat doing, down to do the writing again, I was struggling to do about 500 words a day. And then I look at a couple of weeks ago, I did 5,000 words in an hour and a half because I was in that practice. Thank you. It, I, I'm not going to lie. My hands hurt by the end of the session and I had to start separating it. So I did it in two chunks so that my hands had a bit more of a break because a lot of my chronic pain is in my hands anyway. So obviously the typing's not great, but because of how fast I talk and how fast my brain works, dictation isn't great for my fiction. I use it a lot for nonfiction and for course stuff, but like course transcripts, for example, but I don't like using it for fiction as much especially with my stuff being quite dialogue heavy, but it really, I set myself that, that challenge of doing 5,000 words a day to prove to myself that I could do it. And I was still capable of these things because if you've been doing something for a while, I think you can fall into slightly bad habits very easily. And you can focus on the negatives and what you're incapable of rather than pushing yourself to keep achieving the, these different goals, you know? Exactly. Exactly. So do you mind me asking, like you said, most of your pain is in your hands. Do you, do you mind me asking what kind of the chronic illness is? No, I don't mind. I'm always happy to talk about it. I have fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue syndrome. So my joints hurt all the time just for the sake of it. And I'm tired a lot as well. But it's kind of more than just feeling tired. It is the overwhelming sense of I can't keep my eyes open. I've got to go to bed. 
but I was in a weird position this time last year because I couldn't function to work at my day job. But also the doctor was telling me I shouldn't sleep because if I slept too much, I would make my fatigue worse. And that's kind of this vicious cycle you get into with fatigue because fatigue isn't necessarily that you're not sleeping enough, but it's finding what is triggering it instead. And I've been doing a treatment program to help with my, with both conditions. And it it's made a massive, massive difference. Like Ellie lives about half an hour away from me and I couldn't drive to hers before without falling, not falling asleep at the wheel, but like needing a nap at hers before I drove home, for example. And now I can, when I'm allowed to drive there, cause we're under lockdown at the minute, I can do that. No problem. Uh, so it's made a massive difference and I've come off my pain medication as well. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. I just wondered, cause I have one of my romances. Uh, the first one I did, my character has rheumatoid arthritis. And so oh, wow. I did a lot of research. I talked to a lot of people about that and just a lot of the things you were saying reminded me of some of the, the ways that they feel and the exhaustion. Yeah, they're, they're very similar conditions, but rheumatoid, they, they have different causes, but they, they're, they're one of those that manifest the same. And I don't know about in the States, but in the UK, they're treated by the same department. Oh, probably. So you see a rheumatologist for both of them. Like I, I had a diagnosis by a rheumatologist and then she was like, yeah, I can't do you offer you any treatment programs or medication or anything you've got to go back to your gp for that i'm like then why did i come here in the first place right <laughs> i waited three months for a diagnosis of something i already knew i had and three gps had already told me i probably had great funding great that's a great use of nhs money really yeah. brilliant yeah and and just making you wait to hopefully feel better yeah oh, but but it was nice to finally have those answers because when you look fine and you force yourself to pretend to be fine you know everyone assumes nothing is wrong and I've been having these issues for about five years at least now and I was always told you're fine you're fine just eat more genuinely the first time I went with fatigue the doctor told me to eat more because my BMI was borderline underweight it's like I eat more than you that's clearly <laughs> that, that's not my issue um and I really had to push. And it was only when I told them that my mum had certain chronic health issues that are hereditary, that they finally listened to me. And one of my GPs said, come back if the blood test is fine, because we can test for other things. But I had to really push and mention the family connection before they took me seriously. It's so funny, because as a writer, my mind, the whole time you're talking is going through this is what we need to give our characters because same thing with my character, you know, RA and, and fibromyalgia, it's kind of a silent hidden problem that like you said, yeah. people won't look at you and know that that's something that you have to deal with on a daily basis. But, you know, if you have a character with those kind of issues, it really deepens who they are. It affects the way they look at the world. It affects how they can interact with it because they're real things and I just my mind is I, I love it that's why no, I get that I get people. that like, <laughs> but my other series that I haven't mentioned I have a character with Fibro and yeah. it's a fantasy series and her health issues are connected to her powers oh, that's and cool. in the series <laughs> she learns to cope with her powers and that helps her cope with her pain and it's it's quite hard to write not only because it's a balance of crime fantasy and romance but also because it is so close to me. And I know a lot of people are going to go, oh, that treatment program's a load of BS. She made it up, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, actually I've lived through it. I know it's a thing, but there is still that fear in my mind that people who ruminate on their pain and don't want to do the work or don't think it's going to work for them are just going to be like, no, it's a load of nonsense. And like, it's based in science. It's just not science people are talking about because there's more money in plowing you with drugs rather than... And, and trying to find the easy way rather than actually working out the cause and effect of things. I love it. And I, I love what an inspiration that you have to deal with all that and you're cranking the words out and you're getting the books done. So it really is a testament that, you know, if this is what you want to do, then do it. Yeah. You just for, have to make me, it happen. Um, have you ever heard of something called flow? There's a really good Ted talk on it, but it's basically when you're just in the zone and you are writing and you forget that the world exists and you forget to eat and you forget to go to the loo and you look up at the clock and an hour's passed. That's flow because you lose, you can only process so many stimuli at a time and flow really helps you to block out all of those things. And it comes from a state of being competent, but also challenging yourself at the same time. 
there's a really really good ted talk on it that i definitely recommend i forget the name of the guy who did it but it's just really good and i realized a couple of years ago that that's what i'd unintentionally trained myself to do and that was how i was coping with the pain because i was so focused on basically torturing these fictional people <laughs> that i forgot about everything else and that's how i managed to do what i did so quickly well, i know we need to start wrapping up but ellie what what else do we need to know about you and your journey and and what you're hoping for the future well i guess this year i finished my master's degree and i have challenged myself to release my first book within the first year of finishing the degree so that will be happening hopefully with the second one very close behind it's uh, an urban fantasy series about a female witch who didn't really want the powers in the beginning and she's a very sarcastic person and um challenges a lot of i think gender stereotypes because that's a big thing i'm a fan of uh, and she also loves wine so there's that uh, we have a lot in common <laughs> <laughs> i hadn't noticed the similarities <laughs> no, no it's really subtle right they say right what you um, know <laughs> or what you can learn as we've been talking about <laughs> exactly but i think the main thing for me is just my biggest motivation is if i don't do it why not i guess I, I heard this quote and it's not a proper quote from a big name or anything i don't think but years ago i heard this quote and it's influenced a lot of things it's basically saying you regret the things you don't do more than the things you do um and so i sit there and i go well i'll release a book then like i know i'm far away from actually doing it but i'll regret not doing it more than i regret doing it even if it ends up being terrible i'll grow and growing as a writer is definitely a big big part of my life it's something i enjoy being told that um writing isn't sort of god-given so to speak it's something you learn is is this something i very much believe in and i'm evidence of i guess and that's something we preach a lot in the uh the podcast as yeah well. and I think you already a great writer when I met you early and seeing how much you've grown in that time as well like it shows that it doesn't matter where your starting point is the important thing is keeping an open mind and knowing that it doesn't matter how much you've published there's always something else you can learn like I'm trying to improve my description at the moment for example before I was working on plotting and so there's always something that you can be learning and improving on to impact your writing and also have a deeper emotional connection with your readers. I think I have some good stories in me and I have the ability to write fun, interesting things and still make people laugh, which I love. And I just, uh, I'll get there. It's a, it's a journey and I'm, I'm really enjoying being on the journey. I love what you're saying, Ellie, about the journey. And it always makes me think about that one point in, I think it's in The Hobbit, where, you know, they're, they're trying so hard to get to this place. And at one point, Gandalf sends the great big birds to pick them up and take them because there's, they've reached a point where they can't go anywhere else. And I always think, well, gosh, in Lord of the Rings, why didn't he just do that? Why didn't he call the birds, pick up Frodo, take him straight to the volcano? Done. But that's because Gandalf is wiser than that. And he knows that in order for things to happen the way they need to, to reach the end is you have to go through the journey and you have to learn all the things that you would completely miss out on if you were just picked up, moved to the end and dropped. Yeah. Um, and I think that's applicable to all of our stories as well. It's about the journey. It is because the amount of things you'll learn from writing and rewriting, getting feedback and working on that and working to improve it and helping other people with feedback as well, which is what I do. You do a lot as, as part of this master's degree. You learn so much that you you can't jump, you can't skip. There's no sort of cheat code. There's no easy road. You, you've got to take every single step and there's a lot of steps, but every step is great and every step is inspiring and every step is worth it. Yeah. So it's just about keep on keeping on, I guess, because yeah I, if you want to get there you can get there yeah and you will if you just keep going that reminds me of a quote and I'm going to paraphrase it really badly because the magazine it's from is downstairs but it ties back into the confidence thing and it was one of those agony aunt columns and someone was talking about re being really anxious and 
the agony aunt replied saying the opposite of anxiety is action you can't like think your way out of feeling anxious you just have to jump off that cliff into the water below that there's no shortcut you just have to keep doing it and once you've landed in the water you've got to keep swimming Right. Even if you think there are sharks there, even if you think there are rocks there, even if you think the jellyfish are going to sting you, you just have to keep going because you don't know what you're going to find. <laughs> exactly. And the other option is to just give up and die. So yeah, yeah. you can't <laughs> tread water forever. No. You've got to go somewhere. Yeah. Exactly. I love it. Oh, we're getting deep in the metaphors. <laughs> I know, I'm liking this swimming metaphor. Maybe I've got like a new type of metaphor. We've got the cars, we've got the cakes, and now I've got the swimming. No, no, we've got to do more cake. More cake. Always more cake. <laughs> yes, definitely. I want to well, bake you guys, now. As we wrap up here, tell us about your podcast, what your goals are, where people can find you, and uh, we'll end on that. Ellie, do you want to start? <laughs> <laughs> so our podcast it offers lots of information for writers who maybe um, just want a little podcast to listen to about writing or, or want some inspiration um christina is the more experienced of us two and so a lot of the time it's me picking her brain and going but what about this but what about that <laughs> but um all the good jokes are written by me that's all i'm saying i no, that's true actually the good metaphors tend to be the good <laughs> jokes are you we we take more of a mindset focused approach to writing so for example like in the nine reasons, you know, it's not just that you're stuck. It's looking at why you're stuck. It's looking at why your characters don't have as much depth as they could. It's looking at why your plot doesn't work, but coming from a more, if up here isn't working properly, your stories aren't going to work either kind of angle. And that's because of our own backgrounds, because of my own interest in psychology, and also because of my own experience dealing with physical and mental health issues. And they can check it out by visiting writerscookbook.com forward slash podcast. And we've also got like 400 blog posts on there. We've got a lot of blog posts. We, you can also find more information about it on our Facebook group, mm -hmm. which you can get to, I remembered, is writerscookbook.com forward slash Facebook group. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Uh, and we chat on there about all sorts of things to do with writing and you can get accountability and you can get some advice and you can just play goes with cool quotes because we like that too. <laughs> or writing memes, anything you like. <laughs> but we are always there for some advice if anyone wants any. Yeah. Well, wonderful. I'll make sure there are links. And then I'll also link to Christina's <laughs> website so you can Thank you. learn about her fiction and her nonfiction books that are out there to help writers. Yeah, I've got three books for writers, two are mindset focused. There's Productivity for Writers, which is about productivity and writing more. There's Writing Myths, which is kind of all the things people tell you about writing that are actually not true or all the things you think you should be doing that you don't need to like you're an author so you've got to have a blog but you hate blogging so why are you doing it or your first book needs to be this really complicated in-depth epic fantasy story that's going to require the most ridiculous world building it's like you've never finished writing a book why are you doing this to yourself and then there's my newest one which is how to write believable characters and that's what it says on the tin, you know, it's about bringing your characters to life using a psychological approach. And I'm actually fleshing that out into an online course as well, Wonderful. which, which we've nicknamed C4 because it's the character creation crash course. And as I keep being told, it's explosive, ah. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's really interesting. Like sometimes putting this content together makes you realize I know more than I think I do, if that makes yes. sense. It, it does. It's all cause and effect. So it's not just your character's really cynical. It's why are they cynical? Because that will um, help you figure out how their cynicism manifests. Are they cynical in a relationship? Are they cynical with how they look at the world? Are they cynical to certain people, but not others? And those things really play a bigger role in what makes us human than we realize. I love it. You guys, it has been so wonderful having you with us today and getting to know you and... I think what you have to offer is going to be so helpful to them no matter where they are on their journey. So thank you. I think so. I mean, it takes a lot for me to big myself up, but I genuinely do believe there's some really valuable content in there. Oh, there is. We've got a lot of stuff that we talk about and a lot of stuff to hopefully encourage people and inspire. Yeah. People, and we so. do take a slightly different approach than a lot of places as well. Because like I say, we're focusing on what's going on with you and how that influences your writing process, whether we're talking about the craft or the mindset. And I think that makes a big difference. 
It's, it's wonderful. It's a great way to approach it. Thank you. Well, thank you guys. Um, the way we usually log off is we like to say, keep writing or start writing. Do you guys have a, a regular sign off that you like to use? <laughs> we, we, we're trying to refine that, but I was reading a Twitter thread the other day and apparently we, we just say bye at the end, but we have a certain way of doing it, of, of pronouncing it. And apparently that's a really English thing to do. <laughs> Let's hear it. <laughs> we just go, bye. Bye. Oh, I love it. Well, you guys, thank you once again for being here. And I hope you enjoy the thank rest you so of much your for weekend. Having us. Yeah, you too. Bye. Bye. bye.